This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You are listening to Front Office Features presented by San Diego State University's Sports MBA program. Each week on Front Office Features, we have a discussion with a sports executive in an effort to take you behind the curtain to learn more about the inner workings of the business and provide insights to help start and grow your sports business career. Today, our guest is Kurt Hunziger, who is the president of the St. Louis Battlehawks of the XFL. We discuss how he is starting the team from literally the ground up and why he thinks the XFL will have a different fate than the Alliance of American Football. We'll dive deep into the creation of one of minor league baseball's most successful endeavors, as well as discussing data analytics and the vital role it plays in the sports industry. Before we get to that, I want to thank our great partners in San Diego State Sports MBA program where you still have plenty of time to apply as the deadline to start your application isn't until November 1st and classes begin in beautiful San Diego on January 1st. For more information, visit sdsu.edu backslash smba. Hello, you are listening to Front Office Features with Rob Crane and my guest today is Kurt Hunzecker, uh, who is the president of the St. Louis XFL team. Uh, and Kurt, I am so very thankful that uh, you would join us today here on Front Office Features. No, thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, it's a blast. So you guys don't have a team name yet uh, with your XFL club. Uh, are you here to break news about what the St. Louis XFL club is going to be called? If I... <laughs> knew it <laughs> i would hint at it yet i have no hints myself this is the greatest job so far of a sports league or franchise completely eliminating any chance of a leak that's incredible there are five total people i believe that's now the count that know the eight <coughs> xfl team names logos and colors None of the presidents of said teams, no. No like kidding. None of them. So none of them. We, none. So we are building all of our plans for our inaugural season, and it is, you're building it with fill in the blank as of right now. That is, uh, that's incredible. And uh, I, uh, I, 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 did you know that going into the job or be like, Hey, man, uh, what's the name of the team that we're going to call? And they're like, can't tell you, sworn to secrecy? Uh, no, I mean, believe me, I, I've, I've tried at least a thousand times. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to you know, trick my way into getting at least a hint. 
that's uh, no, I, I asked you know during the interview process, like you know, Vince McMahon's keeping this very close to the vest. Uh, you know, you, you got to get this right. And I will tell you, what I do know is we're building all the plans for the unveiling, and it is robust. You know, th this is not going to be like a press release and something on social media. I mean, it, it, the XFL and each of the eight uh, franchises will be doing a ton uh, on the day that everything unveils. You know, one of the, uh, you know, you just took this job and we'll go through your career history. But one of the things I was interested in the, to get your perspective on is obviously this is a second run of the XFL and uh, the uh, American Football Alliance um, or Alliance American Football, whatever it's called. Um, they just you know, folded up and uh, folded up shop. What makes this uh, this run at, with the XFL uh, different than the other previous football leagues? Uh, that have gotten their start? Now, that's a great question. And then the batting average, so to speak, for spring football hasn't been great. And I think that the big thing that drew me to this opportunity, there's, there's probably about three or four. One, Vince McMahon, um, not only from his financial commitment, but just how he has built the WWE into the media and entertainment empire that it is. You know, in the original XFL or XFL 1.0, however you want to call it, that's really the only blemish on his business record to date. And I think he wants to correct it. Um, two, just that the, the executives that he hired, uh, Oliver Luck is the commissioner and chief executive officer, he, very well regarded uh, in, in more than just the football circles. He is president of the Houston Dynamo MLS team. I was the athletic director of West Virginia University. He worked for the NCAA prior to coming to the XFL. You know, he's not doing this just for a one-hit wonder. Uh, and then you get the media partners, and that was probably the most eye-opening because the, the hardest thing for these spring football leagues is to be seen outside of the markets that they're playing in. And the AAF bought their airtime on CBS, whereas, you know, ABC, ESPN, and Fox and FS1 you know, they're, they're, they're covering all the production costs to broadcast oh, wow. each of the eight games every week. So every game will have its national window. So St. Louis, my team, will be on national TV all 10 games during the regular season. And that's, I mean, all those things combined, wildly different than the first iteration of the XFL and, and, and significantly different than any of the previous spring football leagues. That's incredible. That's incredible. So take me through. That's a, such a game changer. The uh, covering the cost of the media is so much different than uh, anything else. And uh, I, I agree with you that uh, that gives you some uh, it separates you from the other spring football leagues. Did you uh, when you were going through this, did you interview with Vince? No. And, they, and that's uh, actually a testament to he has really empowered the executives to run the XFL. You know, they, they have weekly meetings with him, but he certainly does not get into the weeds. Uh, Oliver Luck, uh, who I mentioned, and Jeffrey Pollack, who's the president and COO, you know, that's effectively your, your heads of the football operations and the business operations. And he, he lets those two executives do what they do best. That's interesting. So um, let, we're going to come back more to the XFL because I'm incredibly interested because you are, uh, you know, we're recording this. It's uh, it's in July and uh you have how long till uh, till the you kick foot till you kick off? 
So my first day was July 1st. I had seven months and one week until our first game. Uh, Holy the weekend, week, weekend after Super Bowl. And oh. literally everything. Now, the, the XFL as a league, we're building quite a few of the uh, necessary elements. But the St. Louis franchise, the training facility, the offices, the entire staff, obviously the names and logos, the marketing plan, all of that is currently in development. That's incredible. How many people on staff right now do you have? It's you and? Uh, myself and I. Oh, that's a dynamic. That's a dynamic duo, though. You might. It, it, it uh, is me, myself, and I. <laughs> we will probably end up. It, it'll. It'll. It'll be very much our year. Our first year will be very similar to uh, minor league baseball teams. I think we'll end up with about 20, 15 to 20, 18, 20, something like that, uh, full time, and then we'll have seasonal staff as well. Wow. Yeah, so you have an incredible amount of uh, work to do. Are you in the middle of the hiring process right now? I would imagine, we are. like knee deep, right? And that's where you know the resources of the XFL uh, and, and some shared resources with the WWE really comes into play. They have they have an exceptional talent acquisition team. A lot of these director level positions they had already been recruiting for uh, before I even started. So it, it, there was. Uh, plenty of activity really on my first day of engaging potential candidates and talk a little bit about the the structure is it a when i say structure the staff structure um is there like a football ops side and a business ops side uh is it just all business ops where does how does that all work no it's 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 half and half so it's a great question the football operations side is basically set so our head coach uh all of his coaches uh, strength and conditioning, that is all in place right now. It's really the business operations side, because they've, and let me go back to that real quick, they've been hosting, each of the eight markets have hosted like a combine style workout for, for prospective players. Now, these players will probably account for a third of the player pool. Most of the players that will end up playing in the XFL next spring are currently in NFL training camps. So, you know, gotcha. you know, 90, 90 players in training camp and they have to make the cut down to 53. So a lot of that, that's a that's a huge amount of, of talent that's going to be available for our eight teams to, to draft from later this year. And uh, so is that how it works? Is it a draft? Yes, it's a draft will be, you know, probably I think around the October time period. It's going to be very similar to your your fantasy football type draft. Um, you know, each of the eight teams, and I don't know how they're going to pick them, but effectively, you know, first pick, and then you go snake style, snake, snake style. style. Like, it is yeah. a fantasy football draft. Yep. So I mean, it, it's and so that's what the football operations uh, uh, departments at each of the eight teams are currently doing right now. And at the league, at the league office, Doug Whalen, who has experience being an NFL general manager, it, it runs all of that. Uh, along with Commissioner Luck, and so that's really where they're uh, they're, they're ranking players now. They're watching, you know, looking at depth charts at the NFL level, seeing who may become available in the fall uh, after the final cuts. I mean, there's there's a ton going into this, and I think, you know, uh, going back to the what's different, there's a very, a lot different on the testing side, on the research side, and obviously in the planning. You know, this has been brewing for about well over two years so they're very much taking their time and doing everything right 
So the product on the field come February 2020 is at a very high level. You know, when you're building your staff here in uh, St. Louis, which you're, that's your hometown. Uh, it is. So you're building your staff and your, your history uh, is been a lot in uh, research, strategy, business analytics. How are you going to take that uh, history and how are you going to, I would assume uh, that you're going to build your staff through, you know, a very analytical uh, uh, background uh, and doing a lot of uh, uh, doing a lot of research. How are you going to build your staff based upon your history? Well, there is a fun dynamic here, and specific with the St. Louis XFL team. So there's eight total teams. This St. Louis is the only one that doesn't have an NFL team already in its market. The other seven effectively will be competing for eyeballs and and corporate partnership dollars with an NFL team, and, and in some cases, a Division I power, uh, power conference football team. I don't have either of those here in St. Louis. I don't have an NFL team, and the closest D1 team is University of Missouri about an hour and a half away. So there is that dynamic. And then two, the previous NFL teams that played in St. Louis came from somewhere else. Uh, the St. Louis football Cardinals came from Chicago, St. Louis Rams came from Cleveland, L.A., and then their exit a few years ago left a not-so-great taste in a lot of people's mouths here. So the fact that this team will be the first born and raised uh, pro football team in St. Louis, that's really the brand of this team. It, it's not, not going to say the team name's irrelevant because it, I hope it's good. I hope the colors are cool uh, and it looks good on, on merchandise and it's that badge of honor, but the, the thematic of but this being the first St. Louis born and raised team carries a whole lot of equity here in St. Louis. So the front office staff, as I'm starting to build it, has that same theme. There are, there are executives that grew up in St. Louis that have been very successful in their careers, maybe outside of St. Louis in the sports industry or in consumer packaged goods, but they want to come back home. So that's going to fit that thematic of, the St. Louis born and raised executive coming back to help lead the XFL team in its inaugural season. So there's going to be that kind of uh, good feeling, uh, touchy-feely aspect of it. But then you're absolutely right about the analytics. You know, th this, is a, this is the league that really did its research on the viability. Is there a, a fan base that really wants it? When you have 40 million diehard, super diehard football fans that feel that there's a massive void in their life the weekend after the Super Bowl. This, the XFL aims to fill that void while because of the accessibility and the affordability of the game, very similar to minor league baseball, um, they're going to bring it, be able to bring in fans who might be priced out of NFL games uh, to come to the XFL and have a really good time and enjoy high quality football in the field. Yeah, I think, uh, the more you talk about it, the more I'm, uh, I'm buying this and getting excited. You know, uh, you were talking about uh, the team equity and building. You know, I think uh, that does a great job of that is the MLS, uh, you know, with how they, you know, the Seattle Sounders and even in the, um, uh, the, the minor league version of that, uh, where you've seen it in minor league uh, stadiums, they really create uh, really crazy fanhoods with these uh, with these teams, and I think the XFL and you and, and St. Louis have the ability to really build upon uh, 
that kind of just crazy fan uh, and wear that badge of honor and whatever the heck your team name is. You bring up an excellent point. And, and here in St. Louis, and it's funny you mentioned we're talking in July. You know, it could be any day now that St. Louis is awarded an MLS team. The USL team does exactly what you just said. They have a passionate fan base. I'm actually going to my first game here in, uh, next week or in a couple of weeks. Uh, it, it is a – you want to be there. It's an experience. And, yeah, it, it's USL. It's effectively minor league soccer, but the fans don't treat it like that. And so I, 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 as any good, you know, business practitioner, marketer, what have you, you want to, you know, learn and absorb and emulate what really works well. And what the MLS and USL have done very well is creating that rabid fan base. Another great example is Atlanta United. Yeah, right. Stadium with a, a rowdy crowd is unbelievable. In a market that it, it is not the easiest pro sports market just because of how dominant it is of high school and, and, and collegiate athletics in Georgia, that team does exceptionally well from fan engagement and obviously translates into attendance. Yeah, they really seem like they have uh, the Atlanta club has really uh, grabbed that Atlanta market, and it just seems like the thing to do. You know, obviously you have the Falcons and the Braves and uh, and the, the such, but I just feel like man, they grabbed it and they have the most passionate fan base out of all of those, and it's just uh, it's fun to see that. And uh, I was listening to uh, another podcast, and it was they were talking about pattern thinking. You know, taking something that may have worked other places and implementing it into your market or into your business, and to go around and think, you know, what does soccer really have to do with you know American football? And you wouldn't think much besides the field. But uh, I think you can really take a lot of things. I saw the Memphis USL team, the guy to start off the game, they've got, you know, country music stars smashing guitars and everything on the field. It's just such a, uh, a fun, exciting, you know, they got so much energy in that. And I think the XFL could do the same. Yeah, you bring up, a, that's an excellent point about kind of creating your traditions. Memphis is, Memphis 901 is a brand new team. You know, that's the stuff that we're looking at now. You know, it, it's the mantra of the XFL is reimagining football. That's kind of the blanket, uh, almost like mission statement. And it applies to everything. So, you know, a coin toss, well, what else could it look like? I mean, there is no, you know, sacred cows. We are tasked to really look at every aspect of the experience, you know, as soon as you get out of your car, as you're ordering your tickets, one, you're engaging us in social media, how you're watching it on TV. And now with gambling and technological advances in AI, I mean, there are so many things that, that could be possible. And we're, we're at our stage of, of effectively infancy as a league and certainly as a, as a team here in St. Louis, where, hey, every, everything is fair game. You know, it, it, we'll figure out the pricing later, and maybe if it's too cost-restrictive, we push it to next year or year three. But let's really look at um, what what's available to us, and if it's never been done before, that's not a reason for us not to do it or not to try to do it. 
It's uh, it sounds like you just have some incredible things getting uh, getting started. Um, and the way that we became, uh, we, we've gotten to know each other is, uh, your last stop. You were the vice president of marketing, uh, marketing strategy and research for all of minor league baseball. And, uh, you came up to me. I remember, uh, I think we we're at a promo seminar in Greenville and you're like, Hey, we've got something really special. And, uh, I want Pawtucket to be a, 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 a part of that and in the infancy stage in the Coppola Diversion, uh, you know, the fun cup, if you will. Um, and taking the, uh, on-field personas of, uh, total Hispanic takeover of the ballpark, not just, you know, dollar Corona's on Thursday nights, but like a very authentic, engaging, um, initiative towards a Hispanic market, which changed, in my opinion, minor league baseball. And you were at the forefront of that in- very successful initiative. Take us through how that all began and, uh, take us through, you know, some of the pride points that you have of that program. It started as all great ideas do with math. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's exactly where I thought you were going with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it, it was a, uh, you know, Pat O'Connor, the president of minor league baseball always says, how can we do more of things? Um, and we looked at the, we looked at the attendance metrics for the previous dec- decade plus, and there was a there's a plateauing of sorts, and you you mirror that with a, an enormous fan base, 111 million self-designated fans, and then you look at the the numbers of fans and the attendee number, and then you start breaking down numbers even more, and you start realizing there are some pretty significant deltas, and and, and the first one that really I mean. It literally jumped off the page. Uh, when, when you, if you do a, an Excel spreadsheet correctly, these numbers line up and colors and everything's shaded, and all of a sudden, this effectively blinking and flashing number became uh, self designated Hispanic fans of 18.3 million in the US. But when you compare that with the Hispanic fans coming through the turnstiles at about 1.7 million, that's a massive number. And any marketer, a massive delta gap. And any marketer knows that the most expensive thing to do is convince somebody you exist. And a lot of resources goes to just building awareness. Well, here we had 16 and a half, 17 million fans, Hispanic fans already say that they love minor league baseball, but they're not going to the game. And so that turned into, well, if we could, if we could close that gap, we can convert some of these passive fans into uh, transacting attendees. What does that do to revenues for the for the teams? And and that's where really this thing started. And, and so you know we, we looked at why aren't number one question we asked when we started the three year research was why aren't you going to games? And the same kind of theme kept coming up, and that was they just didn't feel invited, which is crazy. They, yeah, but you were so right. You were so, the it was so right when you started talking. Is we just weren't communicating to that group, right? It just wasn't happening, and they didn't feel invited. I can understand why now. And, and it's really it wasn't for a lack of effort. The effort was there, just the messaging just didn't connect, and so you know we what the others doing. And, and, and interviewed them and 
you know, talk to brands, uh, we talked to media companies, and the thing that really jumped out was, you know, if you look at the Hispanic sports fan base, there is a almost perfect synergy with what minor league baseball stands for and the game experience of minor league baseball. Family and friends, food and fun, there's nothing, great music, high energy. I mean, all the values of minor league baseball almost perfectly align with what Hispanic consumers want. And so it's like the the foundation is clearly there. It's just, okay, are we communicating that in a way that they like to communicate? And that was where the deficiency came in. And, and does the front offices look like, from a, from a proportional standpoint, look like the, the communities that they serve? In most cases, it wasn't. So once that was corrected, and then you had really passionate front office executives um, going out in the community, uh, really integrating themselves authentically. No one was saying, hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and therefore a bunch of uh, these fans are going to come into the ballparks. The drive was each of the teams that participated in the initial iterations of COPA, they proactively went out. You know, Pawtucket is an awesome example of going out in the community and 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 just breaking the ice, starting that conversation. And I, the the pride was the very first week when you start seeing these attendance numbers spikes for for the COPA designated games, and then you see it for a full season. And then, then you know, the the phones ringing off the hook with other teams saying, "Well, I want to be a part of this." Uh, so the recruitment where I was recruiting you and others for that first year, the hand raisers at the team level really came to the forefront. And it's just awesome to see the continued growth and, and really even deepening of those community ties in each of those markets that are participating. Yeah, you know, it must be uh, so prideful to see something that looks so grandiose, right? You're looking over at the minor league level, at the minor league office, you're looking over 160 clubs, and then it filters down to the actual games, the actual events. And, you know, we just had uh, one of our Osos Polares, polar bears in Spanish, uh, games on Tuesday. And we had guys there. They had tambourines. They had drums. uh, They were screaming and yelling. It was like, um, you know, a Central American soccer game or football game uh, that broke out. And the energy that was brought there on, a, on, a, on, on that day was different than any day the rest of the year. And I give you guys so much credit for allowing us to do that because we probably wouldn't have got there on our own until you brought the data, you brought the information and said, guys, there is something significant here that you need to take a, a look at. And uh, you guys did a wonderful job on getting that thing started. Well, I appreciate it, but I, the the reason why this worked was the teams. You know, the spark of the idea and then the data behind it would have just stayed that a spark of an idea and data had it not been for the teams really owning it. And you know, one aspect that we didn't even consider, you know, when we launched this last year, that became the story, I think, was the players and how the players and obviously the Hispanic players, of which I think it's like 41% of minor league baseball players are, are Latino, how they just bought in. I mean, completely bought in and became the storytellers that really, and the, and the ambassadors that really 
kind of filled in that gap. They were the communication link to the fan base. Uh, so much so that in places like Bowie and Albuquerque and Eugene, yeah, they're like, hey, we want to wear this tomorrow. Hey, we wear this again on Thursday. And it's like, well, now it's for these. I mean, that's how much they really responded positively to the brand and what the teams were doing in the community. Yeah, and then we, uh, then uh, GMs talk in between ourselves, and we uh, we start going, "Hey, um, you're going to be here on a Tuesday. You're doing this too. Can you uh, bring your Copa jerseys, and uh, we'll bring ours, and right. uh, we'll just do it like uh, you know it's supposed to be done." And uh, you really started something. So, if you're this took years, how many years did this take to get uh, get off the ground? Uh, started in January of 15 and we, the, the original idea would be to test in 18, launch in 19, grow in 20. And then it was shortly after the season started in 2017 that, uh, our awesome intern at the time, now full-time employee at the league office, Felicia Montgomery came to me and she was just like you know i've been looking at these numbers and we need to start this now huh and so it was and an intern were, it was an intern that started the like hey guys we should get going we we all had the quoting end quote day jobs so the huh. build-up of, of copa was really kind of what we did on the side um but we we all believed in it and she was one who was really looking at the data hard and she was just like you know yeah, there's a lot of potential here. And so, and as you know, uh, operating a team, anytime a league office uh, decides to contact you two weeks into a season, says, hey, let's do something later this year, you probably want to hang up the phone on us. <laughs> and I give I credit to uh, the GMs in Visalia, Las Vegas, Charlotte, and Kane County who said, yeah, let's try it. And so we, we, we moved up the timeline to the, the test driving in August of 17 and then launching what is now known as Copa um, in 2018 and then growth in 19. And so it, it was really, I mean, we, we let metrics drive this. I mean, at, at no point when we were kind of selling this in internally in the league office, was this ever like, hey, this is Kurt's idea. It's like, well, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. There's a lot of potential here. We've vetted it. We've, we've double checked. We've triple checked. We've talked to the teams. I think we should do this. And you know, having that objective data to support what we were subjectively obviously wanting to do was really, really helpful in getting the buy-in. You know, one of the things you talk about, we've talked about data a lot and how about the numbers uh, help make this type of decision. They're going to help make your decisions uh, as the president of the St. Louis XFL team. I feel like over my career and... Uh, that the last five, seven years, data and analytics has been growing like crazy. It's no longer like, yeah, I think this will work. It's like, nah, show me the information. Have you seen that uh, when you were with minor league baseball and uh, your 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 experiences before with Rawlings and and now in X, uh, the XFL? Have you seen the dependence on uh, business analytics grow, or is it just me? No, uh, I've totally seen it, and it, 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 it's actually every facet of the business. Um, you know, a handful of examples. I mean, look at sponsorship ROI. 
uh, right. you know, spots and dots no longer do it. I mean, you have to show uh, conversion rates and the fact that you can track a lot of things now, thanks to the advances in mobile technology. I mean, look at ticketing when you first got into the business. Paper tickets were almost the only way to do it. And now I am trying to not have a single paper, paper ticket for any of our XFL games. Just so I would like, because I want to have better uh, uh, data on who's coming through the turnstiles, especially in the inaugural season or inaugural league. You know, the, 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 the pitch to you know, potential corporate partners when you have data supporting it makes it a lot easier to, to evaluate, you know, why you're asking what you're asking for in the investment. When you don't have that, which I don't have right now, it, it's a little bit of, there's more art than science in an industry that is really demanding far more science than art. You know, just a good feeling that I sponsor, you know, the, the Paw Sox, that's not going to get you a, a partnership agreement anymore. It, it's, it has Those to be, days are to, done. Yeah, way done. And so, but at the same time, let's also look at, you know, advancements in per diems. You know, there, there are companies out there that have totally transformed how teams have distributed per diem money to players to where now you can have, you know, every has their own like effectively debit card and you can just go on a computer and uh, preload it for a road trip versus having to count out dollars and cents. I mean, it's amazing how different it is given that all the advancements in, in, in analytics to the point where, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, on, the, on, the, on the player, on the um, like baseball or football operations side, you know, sabermetrics, used to be like oh the nerds the huh. data nerds and now they're interested. now they're running baseball they're, yeah they're gms now uh, i mean the shift in baseball and football there's the same thing spin rates i mean it's amazing how much data has changed the way that players prepare for seasons and it just permeates throughout and so it's kind of the old guard that is very hesitant to change they will get lapped in the new world tech order, so to speak. And you have to stay on top of trends and, and, and uh, partner with those, those entities that are really pushing the envelope. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's crazy about how that world has changed. And you throw in social media with that, you can know, you know what your average you know, male, female, age demographic, you know exactly who you're talking to. You know exactly almost what they're thinking uh, to the second. And you really need not a person, but people to be able to take that information, digest it for at least guys like me, and say, here's what is going on in the world. And you need to either, we need to change this, we're doing real well in this, and we need to build upon. But without that information, it's like, how the heck did we do business before that? You know, you're exactly right. It's like the those of us that aren't very old at all, but, you know, I say the word typewriter and I get cross-eyed by <laughs> some of the younger people. Um, it, it, and there are now, in the sports industry, there are now front office jobs that are titled data scientists. And that's brand new. But then right. something, else, something else that has taken on a life of its own and becoming a necessary and vital part of the business operation is content. I mean, there is a set content used to live under marketing and now content, the XFL is its own division. 
because content is king. We've heard that a gazillion times in the last three, four, five years. For, for us at the XFL, that content, that, that accessibility of what content can do, it, it, it's a different, there, there's a, a discipline that is now so much more and needs a dedicated uh, thought leader that you can't just house it. The director of marketing and the VP of marketing just can't do it on his or her own just because it's such a 45 to 70 hour a week job. Totally, totally agree. And one of the things that I think as, uh, young, you know, uh, as people come start getting into the business more is you've got to really take, you know, the content a- a side of it that like, hey, we're just going to go do this funny video or, hey, we're going to do this uh, artistic video and we're going to post it on, you know, Instagram and Twitter and uh, and Facebook and convincing that you know owners who don't maybe or not owners but you know maybe owners and you know presidents of leagues and teams saying like hey if we do these videos these videos and such are going to generate x amount of revenue because it's like well why don't we just put up hey tickets are on sale click this link to buy because it's not that straightforward anymore you need to be able to create this content you need to be a part of people's daily life and i think taking I think the hard part uh, now is to say, all right, guys, this world is changing, but if you invest X, you're going to get 10 times X down the road, but it won't be a linear, let me just go check the ticket sales report. Well, and the days of um, one-way communications, hey, tickets are on sale, buy now, those are gone. Right. I mean, it's everything is two-way communication, and so when are what's the when's your best opportunity? And let's go full circle with the data analytics. When's the best opportunity to position uh, season ticket sales, individual game sales, groups, uh, merchandise? I mean, there's there's now a an educational not guess, but a almost like a uh, best practices of when to do X, Y, and Z. And a lot of that is based on the fact that you get feedback whether you want it or not, it's a two-way street. And that is an enormous difference than when our predecessors were growing up in the industry not that long ago. Yeah, it wasn't, I mean, this whole thing has changed so much. Um, And, you know, in the last 10 years, which isn't that long of a period of time, that the industry has changed probably five times over. And in the next 10 years, it's probably going to change another 10 times over uh, just on the way that people get their information. We still got to do business. We still got to be able to, you know, put roofs over our head and everything. But just the way that you go about it, whatever you did yesterday was good for yesterday. What are you going to do today? And then how does tomorrow look? And it's it's so funny because... Whenever this podcast airs, something's going to be new. Right, right. We'll all be working on something different because something just came up. Like AI and AI chatbot tools was new last year. And now it's like, oh, that was yesterday's news. Yeah, got that. Check that off the box. Exactly right. And it's just amazing how the, the... the anything, the brands, the companies, the media organizations, the sports properties that can adopt quickly seem to have fans like that. 
Like consumers nowadays, I'll borrow a term my wife says, millennials and Gen Z are digital natives. You and I are digital immigrants. Ha, huh, that's a great, that's a great point. That's a great. They, they, so we might think, oh, this is like, we need, we all need, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in. We all need an almost ad hoc committee of, of, of future consumers to help, help us build our business plans because they're the ones ultimately that'll be buying whatever it is we're, we're selling, whether it's a product, a, a service, a, a game, what have you. But the way that they want to consume it is totally different than the way you and I would consume it, or even totally different than 30 year olds consume it, and certainly different than what 50, 60, and 70 year olds consume it. And yeah. it's just having to create different touch points to reach such a now fractured consumer base is really, it can be daunting or it can be really exciting depending on your mentality. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's both, right? a daunting excitement it's like oh man we got to get this done there's a lot of work to do but let's go get it i think is uh as long as you have that mentality uh i think that people will be successful you know i used to work for the yankees AAA affiliate and i was talking to the uh coo of the yankees uh a few years ago and he was saying he goes rob you know how many ticket sales people i had back in like 99 or something like that i said i don't know 20 and he goes i had zero I would tell the, uh, we would send out a press release, the tickets are on sale, the phones would ring, and then we'd be sold out. He goes, man, has that changed with, he's like, now we've got like uh, 95 ticket salespeople, social media people, the whole thing is that communication is just different now. There's so many other options and you really have to separate yourself and bring you, you know, show yourself. You just can't be like, hey, we're the Yankees. We're going to go on sale. If the Yankees have to do it, then everybody ha has to do it. And it's just a totally different landscape now, which is good. I'm not uh, begrudging of, you know, the new stuff. It's more like, man, it's exciting to learn and the change and to grow with it. Yep. Totally agree. They, um, so now you are, as we kind of wrap up our interview here, um, you're in the middle of hiring a whole staff, you know, 20 full-timers plus, you know, dozens more um, part-timers. I would imagine that you guys are just getting inundated with people that want to work for you, want to work for you, want to work for you. What are some of the ways, whether it's with the St. Louis club or St. Louis team, or, you know, when you've been in minor league baseball, that people have separated themselves to get her, to get in front of you, uh, to be able to get that job. Um, because going back to what kind of our other point was, you just can't do it the same old way anymore. Hey, I'm going to apply through, you know, online and, you know, hopefully they read my resume. I feel like people have to stand out uh, more. What are some of the ways that you've seen people successfully do that? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, and, you know, how automated recruiting is now. You, the, it's almost, and I don't know if it's fully there, but depending on the job, you almost have to customize your resume in the same way that you customize, customize a cover letter. Because depending on the organization, there might be a, an AI robot, so to speak, looking for keywords huh. and, and or numbers. And like I, for me being a, uh, more of the analytics side, even though I like to think that I'm creative also, um, the numbers, if you can show that uh, because of this, this was the growth, like that was, those are always incredibly important to have, whether it's in your resume, on your LinkedIn profile, because um, it, it, it shows success. I mean, numbers don't lie, as the old adage goes. Um, 
Yeah, when you get to a certain point, and, and this is something that I learned actually in college, is you know, the form resumes are so, if you're anybody in HR or talent acquisition or people in culture or whatever they're called now, um, <clears throat> you see so many resumes and they all can just blend in. So we, what, what, I, what I was taught in college was make a personal brand. You know, in me being so sports centric since I was born, effectively, I took my my initials and made it look like a hat logo, and that has always been since 1999 when I graduated from the University of Missouri. That has always been on every single resume, and it's just because you have 50 resumes come in, all of a sudden that looks different. It's not Arial font. It's not the same, you know, form template. It's not the same, you know buzzwords marketing bingo or buzzword bingo that you see a lot that's unique and that'll anything to capture the eye uh really seems to resonate and and let that yeah let that what you're looking to do really really be the first thing to make me want to see that experience to see if you are a fit yeah, I, I always encourage people's like, guys, you don't want to be one of the fish in this big school of fish. You want to be over out on your cell, uh, over by yourself and be like, hey, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm over here. I'm unique. I'm different. Um, because if you just try and go go with the flow with everybody else, you're just going to be with everybody else and you're not going to get to where you want to go. You got to make yourself different. You got to do something unique. You got to reach out in a different way. You got to have something uh, that separates that separates yourself, and I think now, especially in your uh, role as a president in XFL, you're going through dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of of resumes, and someone's got to stay like almost pop out and say, "Hey, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me, I'm over here." Totally right. I mean, there are yeah, every every position so far. I think has had a minimum of two hundred people apply. Holy cow! Uh, two hundred people. Oh, minimum. I mean, minimum post right now. I, I have two director level jobs going to post next week, and I'm just waiting for the for the barrage. But the great thing is, and this goes back to, I think a, a massive difference between you know XFL 1.0 and the new XFL is the the talent acquisition team at the XFL is so awesome. They filtered out the hey, I'm a huge sports fan. Don't ever write that. Yeah, don't ever write that. Uh, no one cares. Um, you can explain that later in life and your passion, but no one, you're not a sports fan. That's not going to get you very far, but they've done an excellent job of, of filtering um, the un- unqualified and maybe those that are underqualified and really honing in on, on those, those potential game changers. So by the time a resume gets to me, it's super qualified. And then it just comes down to cultural fit, does he or she have the hustle um, and, and some of those more intangibles? The people who say, hey, I'm a big baseball fan or I'm a big sports fan, big football fan. I almost just want to send them like a ticket guide. Hey, yeah, great. Buy a ticket. Yep, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, I just want to say uh, a million thank yous for, for coming on Front Office Features. Uh, you're very gracious with your time. You have so much stuff to get done in the next seven months. I know how busy you are. Uh, I wish you nothing but the best of luck. Um, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna crush it. You know, I've always looked, uh, admired the way that you looked at business uh, and uh, how you, you go about it in such an analytical uh, way while being creative at the same time. 
Uh, you're going to be nothing but a success. Your team's going to be nothing but a success. Congratulations on the new gig, and uh, I look forward to seeing all the fun stuff that you guys do in St. Louis. No, I appreciate it. No, I'll send you some uh, St. Louis blankly blank swag once I find out what that swag is. <laughs> I can't wait. I still can't believe that it's under such lock and key. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I don't right now, but uh, I can't imagine it. you don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not my five hundred million dollars. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Well, um, you know, best of luck and uh, and keep doing great things. Uh, and thanks again for coming on. We'll do, none problem at all. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, no problem. See ya. I want to thank Kurt again for coming on Front Office Features, and I also want to thank our great partner in San Diego State Sports NBA program, where there is still plenty of time to apply as the deadline is not until November 1st, just to start your application. And classes don't begin until January 1st. So find out more information at sdsu.edu backslash smba and guys i would really appreciate it if you could give our social media channels a follow instagram and twitter and facebook and find chris and i on linkedin would be great and also when you are listening to this podcast please click those five stars we really appreciate it, it helps us out a lot so until next time we'll talk to you soon